Bibles and turn to John chapter 5, please. John chapter 5. As we continue to work our way through the book of John, considering the life of Christ and ministry of Christ and ultimately looking and considering the deity of Jesus Christ, that's really the theme. But we are still in John chapter 5, and before I get into this, uh, this morning, if you weren't here in the Sunday school hour, uh, you missed a doozy. If you weren't here, you should go back and listen to it. And uh, it's a challenge, and it's good to be challenged by the Word of God, amen? And very timely, very timely. And I was thinking... Um, earlier, as I was studying, the Lord changed my direction, changed my thought, and even changed the message uh, for this afternoon. And I didn't know why at the time, why that was the direction I was being led in, but I do know now. And uh, the Lord knows what He's doing. Amen? And uh, there's definitely something uh, the Lord wants to teach and remind and instill in the hearts of God's people, and uh, there's some of you um, who really need to hear that, and that's from a heart of love right now to you. Go back and listen to it, if you didn't hear it. John chapter 5, verse 31 is going to be our text, and we'll get there in just a second, but last week we were in verses 16 through 30. In verses 16 through 30 uh, is where we spent our time, our text, verses 31 to 47. Today is all still part of that. But verse 16 began a conversation that Jesus had with the Pharisees. And according to verse 8, or 18, excuse me, the Pharisees sought to kill Jesus. They hated him. They sought to kill him even more simply because Jesus revealed the truth of who he was that he was God in the flesh. Look at verse 18. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him because he not only broke, had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. They hated Jesus simply because he revealed the truth of who he was, that he was God in the flesh. And this is really the theme of the, the Gospel of John. It's presenting the deity of Jesus Christ. Now, this conversation ensues between Jesus and the Pharisees, and Jesus didn't deny any of the, of the things that they hated him for. In fact, Jesus goes on to make five bold claims actually pointing to his deity, and the Pharisees denied it in their pride, and they hated him even the more. The takeaway from all of that last week was, you and I have to make a choice concerning who Jesus Christ is too. Either Jesus was simply a man who actually would have been a liar, a madman, or something worse because of the claims that he made, or he's the Son of God, God in the flesh. And a person can shut him up, a person can spit at him, a person can mock him, or a person can fall at, their, uh, at his feet and worship him and call him Lord and God. And a person's got to decide. There's no neutral ground. 
when it comes to who Jesus Christ is. is Either Jesus Christ is a crazy person who shouldn't be followed, or He's God who should be worshipped. And that's a decision that every person has to make, but it's a decision that will have a drastic effect on how you live your life and where you're going to spend eternity. And so that's where we were at in, in verses 16 through 30. We get to our text here this morning, verse 31, and it's a continuation. The idea in, the, in this first section was the claims that Jesus made concerning His deity. What we're going to find in this section this morning is that Jesus didn't just speak some words. There were actually witnesses that verify His claim. And so I want us to think on that this morning we entitled the message last week, A Case for Christ. This is the second part of that. We looked at the, the claims that Jesus made concerning His deity, and today we're going to see the witnesses that verify those claims. Look at verse 31. Jesus says, If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. There is another that beareth witness of me, and I know that the, that the witness which he witnesseth of me is true. Ye sent unto John, and he bare witness unto the truth. But I receive not testimony from man, but these things I say, that ye might be saved. He, that's John the Baptist, was a burning and shining light. And ye were, ye were willing for a season to rejoice in his light. But I have greater witness than that of John. For the works which the Father hath given me to finish, the same works that I do bear witness of me that the Father hath sent me. And the Father himself which hath sent me, hath borne witness of me. Ye have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his shape, and ye have not his word abiding in you, for whom he hath sent, him ye believe not. Search the Scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. And ye will not come to me, that ye might have life. I receive not honor from men, but I know you, that ye have not the love of God in you, I am come in my Father's name, and ye receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him will ye receive. How can ye believe which receive honor one of another, and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that, accu there is one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom ye trust. For had ye believed Moses, ye would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if ye believe not his writings... How shall you believe my words? There are five witnesses in this passage here that verify the claims that Jesus makes that He is God in the flesh. Let's pray and then we'll begin. Heavenly Father, would you help us understand your word today? Lord, give wisdom. Lord, give discernment. Lord, give a clear mind and a clear tongue to be able to speak truth. And Lord, I pray that you use it. Uh, in the hearts of men today. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to notice verse 31. Jesus says, If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. Now, he's referring back to all the claims that he just made concerning the fact that he is equal with God, because he is God, that he's the final judge, that he's the giver of all life. All of these claims proving, claiming deity, and the Pharisees denied it, the Pharisees rejected it, the Pharisees hated him because of it. But then Jesus says, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. Now notice the words not true. 
Jesus is not saying that if I bear witness of myself, that this witness is a false witness or that it's a lie. He's not saying that at all. But what he is saying is that in your custom, in the Jews' custom, if I were to just make a whole bunch of claims for myself, it wouldn't be believed. It wouldn't be a valid testimony because according to Jewish law, one person could not accuse another and it simply be believed based just on the one person's testimony. According to Jewish custom and Jewish law, there needed to be two or three witnesses to establish the matter as true. And so Jesus, in, in fact, Deuteronomy chapter 19 and verse 15 says, One witness shall not rise up against a man for any iniquity or for any sin, in any sin that he sinneth, at the mouth of two witnesses or at the mouth of three witnesses, shall the matter be established. And so what Jesus is saying is, to them, knowing how they think, he's like, if I bear witness of myself, it's not going to be believed. It doesn't mean it's not true, but it's not going to be believed. So there are other witnesses that verify that these claims are true. So ultimately, how did you prove your case in that day? Well, you needed witnesses. And so in our text this morning, Jesus presents five witnesses that verify his claims to deity. The first witness is in verse 32. Why don't you look at verse 32 and then also verses 37 and 38. Jesus says, There is another that beareth witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesseth of me is true. Look at verse 37. And the Father himself, which hath sent me, hath borne witness of me. Ye have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his shape, and ye have not his word abiding in you. For whom he hath sent, him ye believe not." The first witness that verifies the claims of Christ is God the Father Himself. Jesus says, There is another that beareth witness of Me. Now I want you to pay attention to that word, another. There's another that beareth witness of Me. It's the Greek word, alos. And it means another of the same kind. In other words, there's another reliable witness, a reliable witness of the same kind as me that bears witness that I am true, that I am sent of God, that I'm God in the flesh. It's another of the same kind, meaning a reliable witness. It's the same word that Jesus used in John chapter 14 and verse 16 concerning the Holy Spirit. Just flip over to John chapter 14 and verse 16. Jesus says, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. It's another one of the same kind, okay? That's important because there's another word in the Greek language that's actually translated into English as the word another. It's the Greek word heteros, but it means another of a different kind, and it's what the Apostle Paul used in Galatians chapter 1, referring to false gospels, which are not another gospel and not another one of the same kind. It's a different one. It's a false one. Go to Galatians chapter 1 and see what I'm talking about here. Galatians 1 and verse 6, Paul says, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that calleth you into the grace of Christ 
unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. So in verse 6, Paul says, I marvel that you're removed so soon from the, the grace of Christ that unto another gospel. That's the word, uh, not another one of the same kind. It's, a, it's one of a different kind. And he says, which is not another. It's not another one of the same kind. It's not the same gospel. It's a different gospel altogether. And, and so I wanted you to understand that because when we go back to our text, what Jesus is saying here is there's another one, another witness of the same kind as me that bears witness that I am true, that I am of God. And it's God the Father himself. Remember in verse 18, they were angry because he made himself equal with God. Now, I want you to also note in verse 32, Jesus says there's another that beareth witness of me. Another one of the same kind who bears witness of me. This phrase bears witness is the Greek word that means basically it indicates continual action. It never stops. And so what Jesus is saying is that God the Father, Jehovah God, the one that you claim to worship and serve, the one that you think you know, He's the very one who continues to testify of the fact that I am God in the flesh. This was something important that the Jews needed to understand. That God the Father, Jehovah God, the one that you say that you worship, He's also testifying of me. How did He continually testify of Jesus Christ? Well, at Jesus' birth, you remember God the Father announced His arrival with angels, hosts from heaven, a star that led to, his, to where He was, miraculous things that God did announcing the, the birth and the arrival of Jesus Christ. You remember at Jesus' baptism, when the Spirit of God descended on Him, there was a voice from heaven, God's voice, the Father testified, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Later on in Jesus' life, God the Father reaffirms His own testimony at the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew chapter 17. He said the same words, This is my beloved Son. Hear ye Him. You remember at the crucifixion when Jesus died on the cross in Matthew chapter 27, the Bible says that there was an earthquake and the sky went dark. There was miraculous things that were happening that were verification that God the Father is involved. At the resurrection in Matthew chapter 28, the Bible talks about an earthquake and an angel and the keepers of, of the tomb. They fainted in fear because of what they saw miraculous things at Jesus's ascension there was an angel that said this same Jesus is going to come again in like manner as you have seen him go why are you staring up into heaven and the point is is that God the Father himself has never stopped bear, bearing witness or testifying as to who Jesus was the problem was the Pharisees who claimed to know God who claimed to believe God, didn't believe that witness. 
Otherwise, they would have believed Jesus. That's what he said. Now look at verses 33 to 35, because here's the second witness. Verse 33, he sent unto John, and he bare witness unto the truth. But I receive not testimony from man, but these things I say that ye might be saved. He was a burning and a shining light, and ye were willing for a season to rejoice in his light. John the Baptist was another witness as to who Jesus was. Notice the first part of verse 35 concerning John the Baptist. Jesus said that John was a burning and a shining light. So John is referred to as a burning and a shining light. Burning, the word burning means to set on fire. It means to give off heat. So Jesus says the witness of John the Baptist, you remember John's life. He preached repentance. The Pharisees came to him. They wanted to be baptized. And John said to them, you show me some fruit, meat for repentance. Show me you really got saved. Then I'll baptize you. John was really popular among the people as well. And Jesus says the witness of John was a burning and a shining light. The word burning means to set on fire. It means to give off heat. The word shining means to lighten or to give off light. And so the idea here is that Jesus is saying is John was a preacher. John was a witness. John preached of the truth concerning me, and it gave off heat, and it gave off light for understanding. Let me make an application here. When it comes to preaching the truth, preaching the truth will do the very same thing. It'll give off heat, and it'll give off light. The truth is going to put heat in the heart and light in the mind. Both the heart and the mind are needed to receive the truth. You can't really have one without the other for it to be truly effective and make a difference in your life. What do I mean by that? I mean this, that there are Christians in good churches who have all kinds of head knowledge about truth. But it's not really in their heart. And so it doesn't effectually work in them to transform their life. They've got head knowledge of Bible truth, but it's not in their heart to to believe it and to practice it. And so it's not effectual in their life. Let me give you an example. The truth of God that we should build our life around God first. Matthew 6.33 in the Sunday school hour. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. That is not a truth that good Christian people don't know. Honor him first. Honor him first in your life. Do the things that worship God and honor God first. You know that's true. If you do, he's going to bless your life. And there are Christian people who know that in their mind, but it's not in their heart to do it. Jonathan Edwards, you remember him. He wrote something called Religious Affections, but in that what he said was this. He said, there must be light in the understanding as well as fervency in the heart. For if the heart has heat without light, There can be nothing divine or heavenly in that heart. And that was true of the Jews because the Apostle Paul said of the Jews that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge, and they're working to go about and establish their own righteousness. 
They've got zeal, heat in the heart, but it's void of truth. And then he says, on the other hand, where there is light without heat, such as stored with notions and speculations, but having a cold and unaffected heart, there can be nothing divine in that either. That's like the Christian who has Bible truth, but it's not in their heart to do it. But let me say this to you. Whenever truth is preached, not all is lost if people don't respond in the right way. The truth is still the truth, and it does have an impact on the heart. And the impact is this, either to draw men to the Lord or to harden their heart further. Notice verse 35 again. Because Jesus says of the Pharisees, "Ye were willing for a season to rejoice in his light. Speaking of John the Baptist... When John first came around and he was preaching and so dynamically, there was all kinds of you that flocked around him. You were willing for a season to rejoice in his light. You were listening to John for a time. But you're kind of like moths that kind of are attracted to the light and flit around the candle and this and that. You swarmed around John for a time, but as soon as you got too close to the light, it started to burn and it drove you away. One by one, they took flight. The light they were attracted to, the light they liked, it was the heat of the light that drove them away. That's what preaching the truth will do. There are people who in their life, they find themselves in trouble from poor choices. They hear the truth of God. Their life is a mess, though. They like what they're hearing, hoping that it will find favor with God in it. They'll get them out of their troubles and so on. And so they're attracted to the light. But when the demands of real Christianity start to press in on their life, that's when they don't like it and they run away. The question is, were they ever really saved? Jesus said, if you really love me, you're going to keep my commandments. It's going to be in your heart to do that. Let me ask the question, why are there Christians who seem to continually be fighting against God in their life? They never seem to get it together. They never have peace and joy in their life. And they do this over and over and over again. Why? Well, maybe it's because they just really need to get saved. Maybe it's because they've never been saved. Maybe that's the bottom line. See, the fruit of the life of the Spirit of God, when the Spirit of God is there, it's going to produce love in your life, joy, peace, Long-suffering. There's going to be a gentleness about you. Goodness. Desire to do right. Faith. Meekness. That's some humility. Temperance. Some balance. Not flying off the handle and extremes here and there. Listen, that is what will be evidenced in the life of a true child of God because that is what the Spirit of God produces. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, by their fruits you shall know them. What is the evidence of a life? What is the life producing? 
I think there's times when the preaching of truth comes around and it starts to shine a light into the life and the heat is turned up. And men are either drawn to it or the heat makes them want to run away from it. The Pharisees, they liked the witness of John until the truth pointed to Jesus as the Son of God. Then they didn't like that. And they ran away. And what I'm simply saying is the preaching of truth can do the same thing. You have Christian people who sit in pews just like this, a lot of head knowledge, but it's not in their heart to do it. And when the truth starts to be preached, it starts to shine a light into their own life. And, and their reaction is anything but drawn to the Lord. Their reaction is to want to run away or to make accusation. Well, maybe it's because you like the Pharisees. It's not in your heart to love the Lord. The third witness is in verse 36. Look at it. But I have a greater witness than that of John. For the works which the Father hath given me to finish, the same works that I do, bear witness of me that the Father hath sent me. Now it moves from the verbal to the visual. He says, the third witness is the miracles and the works that I do. They testify and verify that I am of God. What miracles did Jesus do? Well, he's already turned the water into wine at Cana. He healed the nobleman's son from a distance. He restored the impotent man at the pool of Bethesda. We read that. There were other miracles that Jesus did because chapter 2 and verse 24 tells us, but Jesus did not commit, or commit himself unto them because he knew all men. The verse before that, rather, verse 23. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover and the feast day, many believed in his name when they saw the miracles which he did. So there were many other miracles that Jesus did, and there was more to come that they would witness. And Jesus said, these alone verify the claims that I make concerning my deity. The miracles... They obviously testified to the fact that Jesus was of God. And the Pharisees themselves even knew that in their heart. You remember Nicodemus in chapter 3, verse 2? The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Even in their own mind, they knew it in, the, in their heart. There were some that believed but in most cases, whenever Jesus would perform a miracle, they completely skipped over that, that something amazing and miraculous had just been done, and they tried to find fault with Jesus because of the pride in their heart. But I would say to you this morning, how many are like that today? The miracle of a changed life in salvation is something miraculous to behold. God completely transforms a person's life. People begin to see it. They're different. But because their salvation exposes you and shines a light on you, you begin to criticize and try to find fault. 
The miracle of a radically changed life, friend, is definitely evidence and witness that salvation is real. The fact that Jesus Christ has moved in and changed everything about me is probably the most compelling evidence that there is that salvation is real. And what does it do? A person's testimony of a changed life exposes and shines the light on other people who say that they're saved, but their life has never changed. I'm a Christian. How has your life radically changed? Jesus says the miracles that I do Those alone testify of who I am. The fourth witness is in verse 39. Look over there in verse 39. Search the Scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. And ye will not come to me that ye might have life. I receive not honor from men, but I know you, that ye have not the love of God in you. I am come in my Father's name, and ye receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him will ye receive. How can ye believe which receive honor one of another, and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? The fourth witness to who Jesus is is the Scriptures itself. He says, search the Scriptures. For in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. That word search is an interesting word, and it was really applicable to who Jesus is talking to. The word search means to investigate, but it's the word that corresponds to the Hebrew technical term that was used of these very people in the study of the Scriptures. And these were the ones who prided themselves in the study of the Scriptures. And Jesus says, why don't you investigate it? Why don't you search it out? You study the Scriptures. You pride yourself in the study of the Scriptures. You think you follow them. But if that's true then why don't you believe me? Because those very things that you study testify of me. That's what Jesus is saying to them. Why didn't they receive it? Well, look with me over in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 14. The Bible says, But their minds were blinded, For until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Here are those who... Read in the Old Testament, and when Moses is read, the veil is still upon their heart, so they can't see the truth concerning Christ. That veil is taken away in Christ. And it's not until their heart is turned to the Lord that their veil is taken away. And and this is what Jesus is saying. If you really search the Scriptures, and you really understand it, and you really follow it, if that's true, 
You'd believe me because those things testify of me. But why can't you see it? Because there's a veil over your heart. There's no desire to see it. And it answers the question, and here's the question, is it possible to study the Bible without finding spiritual life in it? I think the answer to that question is yes, it's true. The Pharisees are a perfect example of that. But what's lacking? Why don't you find spiritual life in it? What's the problem? The problem is a heart that is not humble and a heart that is not willing to come to Jesus Christ for a relationship. Jesus said in in verse 40 of our text of John chapter 5, he says there in verse 40 that you will not come to me that you might have life. Look at it, verse 40. And you will not come to me that you might have life. Listen, these people had access to God's Word. They studied God's Word. But God's Word was not truly abiding in them, and God's Son was not the object of their faith. Let me just say this, make application here. It's easy to act on the technical. It's easy to act on the do's and the don'ts of Christianity especially if you grew up in a good church. All that kind of stuff can be faked for a time. But what you cannot fake is really being in love with Jesus Christ. You can't fake that. Because if you're really in love with the Lord, it's going to change the way you live. Eventually, what is in the heart comes out. You pursue what's in your heart. If what keeps coming out is that which is glorifying to the Lord, and if what keeps coming out is love for Jesus Christ, that means it's truly in the heart. But if the other things keep coming out, what's in the heart? You understand? Jesus said to the Pharisees, you think you follow the Scriptures. You call yourself students of the Word of God. You've got knowledge but you're blind in your heart. Why? You won't come to me. It's not in your heart to come to me for a relationship. The Bible was given to us, but not simply given as a legal document or some kind of self-help book. The Bible is a love letter from God to mankind. The Bible is a reflection of who God is. If the Word of God, here's my point. If the Word of God does not draw us irresistibly to Jesus Christ, then it's probably because we, like the Jews, don't actually have His Word abiding in us. I want you to look at the fifth witness, verse 45. And this is technically tied to the Scriptures. But I want you to notice verse 45. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom ye trust. For had ye believed Moses, ye would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if ye believe not his writings, how shall ye believe 
my words. Now Jesus turns the tables. And he starts pointing his finger at his accusers. And Jesus pulls the trump card, if you will. The ace in the deck of Jewish heroes. And it's Moses. And the fifth witness is Moses himself. Why Moses, though? Why does Jesus say, Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom ye trust. For had ye believed Moses, which they said they did, ye would have believed me, because he wrote of me. Why Moses? Well, Moses was one of the founding fathers. He led Israel out of Egypt in the Exodus, which is something they took pride in. He gave them the law, which they definitely took pride in. He was looked up to with reverence in their mind. And in verse 45, Jesus says, Don't think that I'm going to accuse you to the Father. There's one that accuseth you already, even Moses. That word accuse is a legal, technical term, and it means to bring charges in court. And Jesus, in effect, is saying this, You don't need to worry about me accusing you to the Father. You already have an accuser. It's Moses himself. And the reference to Moses is not so much of him personally as it is to what he wrote. Because Jesus said, He wrote of me. The Mosaic Law, which is the Word of God, also is a reflection of Jesus Christ. And somebody could ask the question, well, when did Moses actually write of Jesus? Because Jesus said, for had ye believed Moses, ye would have believed me, for he wrote of me. Well, Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 15, the Bible says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your, from your midst, from your brethren. Him ye shall hear, and it shall be that whatsoever, whosoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. Moses wrote that. And somebody say, well, how do you know that he's referring to Jesus? Well, go to Acts chapter 3 with me. Acts chapter 3. In verse 18, Acts 3. In verse 18, the Bible says, But those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer, he hath so fulfilled. Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things, which God hath spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me, him shall ye hear in all things, whatsoever he shall say unto you, and it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Peter says, the one that Moses is referring to, is Jesus Christ. And the application here is this. Had they believed the word of God as written by Moses, who they gave outward honor to, 
they would have believed on Jesus Christ. Therefore, if they wouldn't believe Moses, how then could they believe Jesus? And the bottom line is this, friend. When men reject the word of God, they have no hope for their soul. Because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But it's with the heart that man believes unto righteousness. There's no hope for you in eternity if you reject the truth of God's word concerning Jesus Christ. But let me also say this to you, friend. There's really no hope for you in this life either if you reject the word of God and how you should live it. Even as a child of God, your life is going to be miserable and it's going to be a waste. So what's the verdict? You got to deliberate. You got to weigh the evidence. Jesus made all of these claims. But then he said there are witnesses that verify it's true. Who I am. This is a sobering decision because the verdict that a person comes to about Christ is a serious one. It's quite literally a matter of life and death. Your life and death. Let the Word of God penetrate your heart today. Do business with God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd use your Word now. However you would. There may be some who are not saved, but they know enough and they've seen enough evidence to know that salvation is real, that God is real. He's a just God who's going to judge sin, that repentance toward God and faith toward Jesus Christ is required, that when somebody is a true Christian, their life changes completely. There's all kinds of evidence to verify it. And yet they still are unsaved. There's no hope for the soul when a person rejects the truth. Lord, I pray that you draw them to Christ today. For the Christian, the child of God, the one who professes to know the Lord, but there's, real, there's not really any evidence of spiritual life there. Lord, I pray that the truth they would be drawn to, they would humble themselves before you today. And unlike the Pharisees, come to Jesus Christ. Whatever it is that you've worked or spoken to hearts about, Lord, I pray that you would be glorified in it. In Jesus' name, amen.